All right, here we are with episode 47 of the Florida Trail Runners podcast. We are back with part three of stories from the Badwater 135. This time, we've got Ted Williamson, Don Lisenby, and Alexis Garcia. Ted and Don, they had some ups, some downs, but at the end of the day, they pushed through and they made it as far as their body would let them. Even in her recovery, she still made it on this episode. She still hopped on. And honestly, I'm so glad that she made it. Alexis Garcia, he got that belt buckle and shares his story of coming to America and living that American dream. You know, these stories are powerful. They're inspiring. And honestly, they are downright amazing. So, hey, let's kick it off with part three, the final stories of the Florida Nine. Hey there, Ted Williamson. Good to speak with you. Hey, Don. Hey, Joseph. Hi, Ted. Hello. Hey. How are you guys? Good. I'm, I'm better. I'm doing well. How are you guys feeling? I'm a little hoarse. My throat is still dry from my Death Valley journey, so it's getting better. <laughs> Dang. Uh, I've had that. <laughs> Our <Did> better you? weeks. <laughs> yeah. I, I, well, you definitely... Uh, been hit hard so i'm uh yeah i hope i'm glad to know at least you're a little better you're heading yeah. in the right direction good yeah yeah i definitely i definitely think um heading in, in the in the right direction um for sure good you know since finished the race or you know well finished at stovepipe i stopped the race at stovepipe at 42 miles um i felt pretty bad ever since and i kept thinking just because of electrolyte imbalance i had had these you know the couple days prior to the race with waking up with a severe headache the day after i flew and then this weird muscle spasming in my legs so i just thought all that you know once i got to 42 miles and was i just have never felt right since then and um at home i ended up in the er to figure out what exactly going on with me and having COVID never crossed my mind to find out that I have had COVID. And so, yeah, it's been, um, you know, I'm going on day 16. (laughs) But I think actually today is the first day that I've felt a little bit better. I went over to the beach for a couple hours and sat there under an umbrella and that felt really nice with the breeze. And, um, the past few days, I've just had a really bad sore throat. So I've gone and morphed from different symptoms, you know, different things. And uh, the body aches went away today, which was good. And the, the sore throat's getting better. Just super, super tired. But but I'm hoping that means tomorrow is going to be even better. So yeah, a little bit of upward trajectory finally towards uh, getting past this thing. Yeah, I'm glad you uh, sound like you've turned the corner. I'm really happy to know that because I know, uh, at least from what I've seen, and I haven't spoken to you since I left Valvilla, uh, but um, I know you've been through the ringer. So I'm glad to know the positive things are coming along. And uh, they better be because you got to race uh that you're doing in a couple <laughs> yeah. of weeks and I, exactly. and I will make every effort I, I don't see any reason I won't be there at least to support and give you a hard time and maybe even make myself useful no that's I really appreciate that so I'm feeling better in 2019 I had um 
really struggled with injuries all the way through the Ultra Cup, and I didn't know what they were or what was bugging me. I was just determined to grind it through, um, and I didn't run probably until November or December of uh, that year after I found out what the deal was. So I won't go into details except to say that I don't have those injuries this year. The problem is, is that I have no buckle to show for my effort. <laughs> <laughs> So the trade-off, I I don't know if I'd prefer to have, you know, flip it and have the buckle, but um, it is what it is. Um, And I'm feeling better, starting to get a little bit of energy. Actually got out of the house and went down and... I soaked in the river today, so I'm feeling a little ambitious. And but I tell you, man, I I'm still tired. I'm just sleeping and napping, and I don't know. Maybe that's something you do when you're 64, going on 65. I don't know. I've never been here before, <laughs> so it's all new. But yeah, I'm I'm actually doing real well, um, considering everything. Well, I'm glad that both of you are feeling much better. And uh, one way or the other, we are all still recovering. Um, personally. I'm like, uh, you just mentioned it now, uh, Ted, I'm still kind of sleepy, taking naps here and there. Um, I'm 60 years old. I, we always have tons of excuses, go into races and not ready and X, Y, and Z. Um, my only excuse is that I couldn't train more. I couldn't train properly, but other than that, um, it's, it's, I mean, this is like a dream. I never thought in my wildest dream 10 years ago when I started, 13 years ago when I started running ultras, that I was going to have the opportunity to be included among these 94 amazing people. Yeah. Each and every, each and every single one of you, this is such a privilege for me coming from a third world country, even though I've been living here in the United States for 30 years. It's, it's such a privilege for me to be, I mean, included in this amazing group of people. It's, I mean, you, this you is know, really, really a dream. Yeah, I'm and Alexis, it's a privilege for anybody. They only have 100 spots on this thing every year. To get in is a trick in itself, so you must have crafted a, uh application that was certainly um, head and shoulders above a lot of others, so you're here, um, finish or not. We are part of the show, and we have the opportunity. And as I drone on to anybody who will listen, Grace Day promises nothing but opportunity. The rest of it is kind of out of our control. So uh, congratulations I, on getting yeah, here. Yeah, and if, may, if I may add something, the simple fact that 94 of us are where, I, I mean, started the race, right there is an accomplishment, at least for me, going through all the COVID issues and everything else that we all went through for the past three years. I mean, the fact that we were at the starting line, it was like amazing. It's an unbelievable feeling. Yeah, kind of that background. That's a big thing. So we'll hit it off with like the introduction. What was that journey to even get to Badwater like? Because obviously, you know, there's a lot of things that go on in gearing up into even having the running resume to get there. What was that journey just to get to bad water like? (laughs) I can tell you about my journey. Um, This is Dawn. And uh, my journey to to the start line, which Alexis is right, it's it's really an honor of a lifetime. And it is an epic start line. I mean, you're sitting there like, wow, I can't believe I'm here. I mean, I've never felt like the energy, everything, the place, beautiful... um, sunset that was happening around us and then the supermoon that came up i mean it was the 
most amazing 18 first race I've ever had. <laughs> but um, to get there, I actually crewed for uh, Grant Mon in 2017 because you have to crew. They, they want to see that so that you know exactly what you're getting into. And that was a pretty incredible experience. I still didn't really think that I was going to run Badwater just because of the expense. So in 2018, I went back and I did the uh, solo, which... You know, the race, before the race existed, there was the solo that people would go facing and they'd go all the way up to the summit of Mount Whitney. And then you got to come back down. So it called the solo 146, but it's really 157. <laughs> so, wow, that, that's great, Don. I've still never been to the top. <laughs> yeah. And so I did that in 2018 with a supported crew. I mean, there are people who do it unsupported. I did it with a crew of four. And... Um, it was after that that I started thinking about, well, you know, if I, because we just did it as an adventure run, like we stopped along the way, we had to wait 12 hours for my permit. And when I started looking at what we did, and we just kind of took it easy, I was thinking, maybe I could race this and do, you know, okay. So it kind of got the wheels turning. And um, I put in, in 2019, I applied and I did not get selected and then I put in for 2020 and I did get selected and as everybody knows two weeks before the 2020 race we're all set to go and the off because of covid wow so the so the 2020 runners we could wait till 2021 or 2022 we could um we we were we were given a guaranteed entry to 21 or 22 so at first i was going to do 21 but it was fortuitous that i decided not to um and at the time the reason i decided not to is because i knew it wasn't going to be the full bad water experience and i know because of the expense and now it was going to be you know double the expense that I had to, um, I wanted to experience the whole thing. You know, finish line party, the pre-race picture, I wanted it all. So I decided to wait till 2022 to make sure that I got to experience all of it. And so, you know, really I kind of tra I trained for three years for Badwater. And it was good I didn't go in 21 because I ended up getting a, having an issue with my hip that it took me a while to get over um, that year. So... I did a lot of rehab on that, but it only made me stronger and, um, you know, trained up. And timing is not my friend because <laughs> obviously somewhere, maybe before, I think probably before I left here, contracted COVID and, you know, that I was having the signs of it when I woke up Saturday morning, but I just put it off as dehydration and nerves and anxiety and then you know i just 18 miles was wonderful and then a switch flipped and it was like okay you're done you've run far enough today uh, and of course that wasn't gonna happen so i kept going and until i might literally felt like i couldn't go another step so that is my journey to um badwater 2022 i'm glad you made it um yeah <laughs> uh, i I'm, I'm sorry because i i had uh, I didn't have quite the issues you did. Um, I did have some weird things that, that came up that I didn't expect. Um, I got into sport in uh, 2010, actually 29, I bumped into a new neighbor who uh, saw me running and thought I was a runner. And I go, no, actually, I'm a, I, I do more weight training and I just like to get outside because it's so nice here in Southern California. Long story short, he turns me, asked me to go for a run. 
turns me on to this new book called Born to Run, which I devoured and saw a few races that, man, wouldn't it be something to do those? Badwater was right at the top of my list along with Comrades. And just the the, the, the idea of, of attempting or even thinking to attempt a race like this just scared the heck out of me, but it also absolutely intrigued me so um for years i had this in mind and um in 2017 i found i was watching back then they actually had uh a, somebody timing unfortunately it didn't hold up so you really couldn't catch the live timing it was very intermittent and finally just gave up but uh, a gal named andrea coyman who's uh lives down in orange county california where i'm from and i didn't know her at the time but i figured okay lo- local racer what the heck so she really inspired me uh you know kind of watching her progress and stuff and um i decided what the heck you know let's go ahead and see what this is about i ended up uh racing and crewing for a guy named chris morock out of uh, north carolina in 2019 and um i uh, was uh, fortuitous enough to be approached by frank mckinney because i was sitting by myself and still having a meal and he was wondering why i was there i uh ended up pacing for 2018 and then i did my own race in 2019 and um had a finish uh i was hurting there i went through the whole uh badwater ultra cup injured and wasn't sure i was going to make the start of 135 but i went anyway and ground out a uh finished there although i couldn't run for another uh five weeks uh five months after that because uh, I, I i figured out what was going on with some some severe stuff then i went in 2021 i uh paced for ray sanchez and then decided to uh, go for another uh application for 2022 and was accepted there um and I, I learned a lot from my 2019 experience and applied a lot of those lessons but yeah well um <laughs> My uh, journey was, uh, for the past three years, it was kind of similar to what Don mentioned it. I wanted to have the whole full experience. That's why I deferred to 2022. Um, And I wanted to, (laughs) uh, the funny thing is that I wanted to participate at the after race party and be, you know, involved in everything. I couldn't participate at the after party because I was still uh, dealing with uh, Whitney Portal at that time. I was officially the last runner crossing that finish line. <laughs> and uh, But before that, when I started running um, ultra marathons in 2009, 2010, I heard the, war, the, the famous race, Bad Water, and little by little I was getting into it. So by 2015, when I was already kind of like confident about my abilities, I went to Cuba and I did a run from point to point, 1,000 miles, wow. average, averaging about 30 miles a day. When wow. I finished that event, um, that by the way, we filmed a documentary. When I finished that um, uh, journey, which was 35 uh, days, I knew that my next step was going to be by water. So everything that I did, every race that I participated after that, it was all trying to build the resume to participate in Badwater. So in 2019, I I went to Badwater and I crew. And then in 2020, I was selected. I was lucky. My first time applying and I was selected. And the race is history. it, It was like surreal when you hear, when I hear my name, uh, in 2020, 
And then uh, ever since I heard my name, everything was all, um, you know, about my water. Yeah. So I was super curious. I saw on Facebook about this um, run across Cuba. What What is that? What's that documentary? Um, well, um, in 1992, I left Cuba in a kayak. I came to the United States in a kayak. So I left <laughs> illegal the country because as we all know, Cuba is a communist country. So I couldn't live there anymore. I was 31 years old. I got in a kayak, uh, spent 55 hours in the Florida Strait. Uh, finally, um, I got to the States and, you know, I move on with my life, happiest person alive. And then uh, in 2015, uh, my wife, uh, Marlene and I were able to materialize going back to Cuba. Um, we brought hundreds of pairs of sneakers and we decided to run Cuba from one end to the other passing our sneakers to the kids that we found along the way. So I started in the easternmost uh, side of Cuba, and we made it all the way across. In 35 days, I, I was running an average of 30 miles per day, and we passed along all those pair of sneakers to uh, the kids that we found along the way. And then after that, like I said, it was all about um, building up the resume. But yes, there is a documentary. Uh, it's called Just Like That, Run Across Cuba. I uh, went to a couple of film festivals. and okay, What year was that again that you did that? that was, uh, the, the, the event was in uh, uh, 2015, November 2015, and I finished in December. Nice. Wow. Incredible. Yeah, it was kind of like a, a dream that I had ever since I was a teenager, still living in Cuba. And I wanted to you know, explore and know the country from end to end. And I was able to do it at 54 years old. Nice. Wow. Alexis, that's the true American experience. Um, I, I, I am who I am. I was born here. I, I lucked into being an American. I've got friends of mine. There's one in particular who's been a friend since uh, 2012. And um, she's from Mexico City. Her husband's a German. Uh, just as a side note, they met and have pen pals. But I went to her swearing-in ceremony at the L.A. Convention Center, and when I went there and I saw how all these people, what they had to do to, uh, there's a test that you have to pass in order to apply for American citizenship. And that's something that um, natural-born Americans don't need to do. And, and not only that, but the way you got here is just an incredible story. Um, I don't know if you've ever read this, the book that Meb Kaflesky wrote about he and his family when they emigrated from Eritrea. Um, it's an East African nation that was in civil war, and it's an incredible story. But when I, I, did, I, did, I read that book. I read yeah, that book. It, it's an amazing story, and yours is fraught with the same kind of peril, and, and I'm sure there's much more to it than that. I'd love to talk to you sometime more in depth about it. But to me, those are the true American ex experiences and stories um, that are just amazing to hear and make me feel lucky yeah I sure mean, it will be my pleasure yeah so anyway i, I just wanted to, to note that um <laughs> yeah and of course coming into this year you know i can imagine chris gets so many applicants for this rate when did you find out hey your name got called i i you know for me when i my name got called in 2020 it was i was at my son's soccer game actually and um <laughs> 
I wasn't watching. So he does, he always does an announcement and he calls out all the runners. And that year I wasn't watching it. And so somebody started message. So a couple people messaged me and said, you got chosen for Bauer. So that was super exciting because, you know, I, I, that was, I hadn't got selected in 2019, which being on the other side of it, listening to every single runner's name be called out and mine didn't get called out in 2019 was a real bummer. But I just said, okay, Okay, move forward something you know it's not meant to be um so it, it was very exciting in 2020 and 2022 i knew my name would be called out because i had a guaranteed entry so a little bit different in 2022 it's still a great honor um to be called out amongst the amazing athletes that are chosen to run this race so you know i don't i don't say that lightly just that you know it wasn't as Oh, wow, I was selected this year because I knew that I was selected. But it's nerve-wracking because you know you have work to do. Yeah, yeah, I agree with that. It's nerve-wracking when you hear your name. In my case, um, my wife heard when they, in, back in uh, 2019, they called my name. And she came screaming, hey, your name got called. You are in, you are in. <laughs> <laughs> and then that's when reality sinks in and you realize <laughs> that you have lots of work to do. <laughs> and you go from there, then everything in your life revolves around Bathwater. To me, in my book, uh, I knew it was going to be a humbling experience. Um, it, it, let's put it this way. In, in my book, this was the, my Olympics. For other people, this was just another race. To me, it was, I mean, a high privilege to be uh, called to participate. And then, like Don mentioned, in 2022, I knew that I had already... Uh, the spot secure. So, yeah, it's, it's really uh, amazing to hear your name called. Yeah, so like everybody, I just waited till, I guess, you know, whenever it was he announced our names. I was uh, online and uh, he announced it. Um, so I, I think he was probably announcing those maybe by bib number. So I had to wait till number 65 because that was my bib number. Um, you know, during his, um, what he was going to do actually he was going to announce it in Boston at the run show. And I was going to go to that, but they canceled that because they had a resurgence of, of COVID. So they canceled that. And I think Chris ended up being an online thing. Is that about right, everybody? Do you remember? It's a long time ago. Yeah, it was. It was just like that. Yeah. It's not that I was, um, you know, casual about my name being announced frankly i didn't know whether i had been nobody does i mean you just don't know how your application is going to do um so um yeah i was i was pumped but um like alexa's saying i i knew what was expected i've paced twice and i i'd run once so i knew the work that was in front of me and it is daunting and and alexis right it is all consuming and it's it's like five months and that's what you eat breathe and sleep and and i don't like going in unprepared um i also kept in mind not to overtrain, but to work on the things that the mistakes i made before and try to clean up in those areas but it's on your mind and it does get overwhelming i'd say the mental aspects of going into this race are almost as uh daunting uh in a lot of respects as the physical and it sounds kind of strange but in my case knowing what to expect you know you have that back your mind man this is not an easy proposition you know the first time i'm just you know all pumped up and jumping around and so forth like 
but um, you know, that says, man, you know, this is this is a hard, hard, hard endeavor. So, um, but anyway, yeah, because like the, obviously the training factors, you know, the mileage, x amount of like mileage equals x amount of strength and speed and whatever. Then you know, you have to train for heat. You know, you have right. to keep in mind for sleep deprivation and that kind of stuff. But the other big thing is logistically having a crew. Did you guys really have like a crew plan, or how did you develop your crew plan? And who was on your crew this year? So for me, you know, when I did the solo, um, I had a crew. So I had an idea of how to attack the course with a crew, you know, just like Ted said, I, you know, I guess ignorance could be a little bit of bliss and the sense that you do know how just how difficult it is uh, with the conditions. And so I was aware of all that. Um and also just the cutoffs, you know, when you're doing the solo, you don't have cutoffs. So that first cutoff is harder than people realize. You're talking about going 50.8 miles, okay, but it's not a flat 50.8 miles by any means. <laughs> it's not even just some people think town pass, you know, the 5,000 feet at the end from mile 42, the last miles. The, the whole 50 miles like the course itself until you get to the back stretch it's all rolling i mean you're either going up you're going down you're going up you're going down it is not easy so you put that kind of course with you know 115 degree temps overnight is what we're, we were dealing with um which was extraordinarily warm for night conditions in the desert and you know to do that in 14 hours have any problems and if you have any problems or your crew has any problems then you're going to be in trouble but you know, I put together a great crew my crew chief was the same uh, um, one of the girls that was um, with me on my solo Heather Carter and then I had uh, two other people that have crewed me before just recently um, Victoria and Teresa Heber-Lace both crewed me for the Donna 110 um, that I got the overall championship at just this past February. So that's not there with me um, because we had such a good um, working relationship as a team. And I've been Victoria's coach for about five years. And then Lulu has crewed me through many races. Um, she crewed me through my qualifier the day 100. Um, which helped me, you know, because you have to do a qualifying 100 in the year, um, your entry, which even us, given the guaranteed entry, had to do that. So, um, and then my pacers were going to be Victoria and then Amy Ray, um, who's one of my longtime athletes, too. Um, I've coached Amy almost five years now as well. So we were set to uh, do very well, and I had decided that overnight because you can't have a pacer of 42 miles that I would have my pacers wait at stovepipe for me so they fresh because like Ted said it's real hard to get sleep before the race um, we had Vegas we stayed at Heather's so we got decent sleep there but then you know the night before the race we stayed at the hostel you know that that was uh, one of the only rooms left he was staying in Lone Park. And there wasn't a lot of room selection there, so we were all staying at the hostel, the girls in a bunk-style type rooms, and me in a room below them. 
and I didn't hardly sleep at all. <clears throat> but I was already not feeling right, so I think that was part of why I slept so poorly that night. Um, but they were going to stay, Heather, Lulu were going to crew me the first 42 miles, and then we were going to pick up the two pacers at mile 42. So that was that was our plan. And then um, Amy was going to pace me into Panamint. I know that stretch, you know, it was going to be hot and you need someone to keep you cool. And um, and then Victoria was going to take over and go up to Crowley with me for a bit. And then maybe from Keeler into Lim. That was And then um, up the portal, maybe switch out. Go a little bit with me. But I do like to run by myself. And I um, not so... Um, each of my pacers was probably going to go maybe maybe 50k at the most each, and that was our plan. That's smart that you kept your people at stovepipe if you're able to do that. I did that in 2018. That's what my runner did, and it really does help. Um, it didn't quite work out for me this year, but um, I think that was definitely a smart move. Don. Well, it ended up being uh, fortuitous too because when I got so sick, we had that room still, and uh, it was good because I needed somewhere in somewhere cool um and you know nowhere is cool i mean i think stovepipe was one of the hottest places in, right in the morning i was going through troubles it was already 125 so right. they were able to put me in that room which i think was really good um to let my body try to stop overheating or you know dealing with the heat with on top of everything else my crew <laughs> I pretty much had, I thought I was set. I mean, okay, I'll call, I'll see if I can get the band back together again. <laughs> so uh, Robert Thompson, who was my crew chief last time, and a good friend of mine, Ray Contino, who actually got me into this sport. They were back in Southern California. Um, and then I had my buddy from uh, Melbourne, uh, who I'd run comrades with three times, and I met him serendipitously on the way back from Boston Marathon. We've been in contact ever since, and he wanted to come out. And then we had another buddy of ours, a South African uh, named Kirsten Lehmans, who I also knew from comrades. So I figured, well, that would be a dream team. Well, Robert couldn't make it. So <laughs> I'm going, dang. Um, uh, so... I got a call from Brendan Berry, who I'd met at Lost 118, who was, which was my first solo time gig for Mike Melton. And he said, hey, I'm interested in joining your team. And I go, well, your timing could be better. So we chatted, long story short. I was grateful that he asked and was happy to add him on. Then I was in um, at uh, Cape Fear. And I heard Bob Becker talking to Mark Monder, uh, who wanted to, uh, uh, who they know uh, from previous, you know, outings and so forth. And I had just gotten a call from uh, my buddy Ray Contino, who could not get the time off. And it was very unlikely that he would. So all of a sudden, I'm down to maybe two people. Um, so I asked Bob, I go, do you mind if I ask Mark? Because Mark saved my effort in 2019 because the van uh, uh, wouldn't start and he had jumper cables and let us have, have them for the duration. Anyway, so long story short, uh, Mark says, yeah, he's in. 
So I've got Brendan, I've got uh, Mark, and I've got my buddy, uh, and I've got my buddy uh, Matt from. And then we were just waiting to hear from Kirsten, and months, a couple months later, he's unable to uh, get away and, and do it. So uh, I had three guys, and I thought I was solid with that. Um, we could find somebody else if we could find somebody to uh, blend in with it, but I was a little, little reluctant after months of going back and forth. So that was my crew, um, and I one was a, a veteran who I had as my uh, crew chief in Mark Maunder, and he had all the logistics covered. He lives just south of LAX. I'm now coming from Florida. Brendan's coming from Fort Lauderdale. Matt's flying in from Australia. So, uh, you know, really, Mark was our anchor. Um, then Mark had to uh, withdraw on Friday night <laughs> before the race. His, Whoa. Yeah, first his uh, wife had a, uh, had um, contracted appendicitis and went in for surgery that morning. Mark said, wow. I'm fine. The kids are at my in-laws. My wife is fine. She'll just be at home at bed rest. Everything is good there. Well, then he, he tested himself because that's what he does for a living. He does COVID testing as a, uh, a medical person for in the film industry. And he calls me about uh, 6 o'clock that evening and says, Ted, I've got bad news. I go, Mark, what what is it? And he says, I've tested positive on both the antigen and the CPR test for COVID. And I'm out. And I go, I'm really sorry to hear that. Because he got <laughs> nailed because his first his wife gets nailed. Then he, and he was really, I go, Mark, this is life. It happens. You need to focus on taking care of yourself and your family. The upside is that he had donated his vehicle. He, was, he helped us get everything together. And um, it was just me and my buddy from Melbourne, Australia, and Brendan Berry from uh, uh, Fort Lauderdale. And whoever we else we might try to add. Um, fortunately, we still had a race vehicle, and Mark had done so much of the logistical and su major supply work ahead of time. So, and he was willing to donate his brand new 2022 Ford F-150 Crew Cab with 2,000 miles on it. And I even offered to listen, dude. I can find the van, and he insisted. So. With that, all we had to do was go to uh, Walmart on our way. That was my crew, and then we ended up with um, a guy named uh, Glenn Kovacs, who was gracious enough to join us, and it really ended up working out that uh, well that way. So um, I had some missteps, but overall was lucky um, in, in how that all came to, to crew, uh, you know, the crew, how we came together. Uh, the rest of it was uh, certainly um, a little bit anomalous and somewhat beyond my capacity to control but anyway that was my crew experience so i was i was a confident and pumped going in and and ended up turning as far as the crew's concerned even though we only had three guys you guys you guys stepped up huge and i'm just glad that glenn did have experience and and brendan he just took the reins man and asked him to take mark's duties over he just stepped up and just took control and did the managing aspects of it. And Matt was just on the course with me, and I knew he was going to do most of the pacing. And I could pick the better guy because I know Matt. He was just the most even-keeled guy. He just is unflappable. And while I was grousing and moaning and, you know, really suffering, he just calmly just 
kept on getting more and more out of me. So uh, we ended up with two crew, then we ended up getting an add-on from a guy from Virginia who had happened to just fly into Stovepipe and had uh, a crewed for a gal named Molly Melton the year before. And uh, my my new crew chief, uh, Brendan Murray, talked to him on the phone, was happy with him and found that he did a really great job. So he, he ended up dovetailing in, uh, fitting in really well with them. So we had a crew, which took some of the stress. What I was getting at is that I got no sleep. Um, you know, I was just riding on pretty much zero sleep and um, uh, probably just the stress and not, you know, having all this stuff kind of come up last minute. But uh, uh, that was it. You know, I was blessed and lucky and fortunate to get as far as I did. W- without Matt, there's no way I would have made it. <laughs> as far as I did that guy just squeezed everything he could and then some so that's my uh, that's my crew experience uh, my my crew was selected in 2020 and that's the same crew that I had uh, this year um, I was lo- one of those lucky uh, people that did not have a single complaint with my crew first of all because three of them they have crewed me in numerous races before, Katrina Vera and Eddie Vera, as, as long with my wife, Malene, all three of them went to, uh, Malene was a, a running chief of the run across Cuba. And the Vera's family, they went, they flew to Cuba and they ran the last four days with me. And the fourth member of my crew uh, team was Chris Club, which I crew with him in 2019. I met him at that race and I knew that that was uh, the other piece that I needed. So I was so in sync with them that um, even way before the race, I knew I was confident that that's exactly the four people that I needed. In in last November, I had knee surgery and I have a, um, I think it's called meniscectomy. They removed 40% of my meniscus. Wow. At that point, I knew that I needed people that support me and understand what I was going to go through. And they all gave me their 100% and it just, just the way it was. I knew that I needed to, I ha- actually, I had COVID not the day before like you, Don. That was brutal. I had COVID four weeks before the race. So oh. they knew that things started to get complicated. My goal was to make it to the star line and then I would figure it out on the way, which is basically what I did. That's yeah, why that's, I was that's critical, Alexis. It, it's a lot easier to stay in it when you know your crew is just as committed to keeping you in it. Um, yes, it, no it, doubt. it allows no you doubt. to pull more out of yourself. I pulled more out of myself twice in a row than I ever dreamed that I had in it. Be, in me because of the guys that were with me, and they were so determined to, to make the absolute best effort they could to keep me moving along uh it was hard just like for you and i'm glad you're able to um re- uh, to, to to keep going uh and, and i wasn't sure if i was going to come out of panama well actually in 2019 actually my crew was a little shaky when i came out i because i went in and i took some rest but then, then, then after that you know things were, were much better so you just don't know where you're going to get that second other times it's completely impractical just ain't going to happen don and i experienced this time and no matter of you know at that point no matter of luck is going to is going to break to the point where we can keep we can manage to keep going 
But that's so important that you had a crew like that, that they'd had that experience and that chemistry together and that you trusted them like you did. I've heard all kinds of horror stories. <laughs> yeah, I, I can't really complain. Yeah, so how did coming into that first cutoff go? I heard everybody complaining about the same section of the race, the first 50 miles. I mean, very rolling and the heat um, by uh, Town Pass area, it was unbearable. To me, this race was the first 50 miles and then the rest of the race. I was forced to pick up my pace that I never got the rhythm into it in, in a way because I wanted to be uh, cautious about my pace based on the situation with my knee. And I crossed the first cutoff time with four minutes to spare. And then, by the way, I was in that group there that we were all passing each other. Oh, you were in that, uh, that, that. I, I was there. You were in that damn death march to the uh, yes. first cutoff. <laughs> yes, I was. Because I know that you were in that group because Barry, Brendan, one of your crew members, yeah. he, he, uh, he paced, paced me in a run across Cuba a couple of days too. So I know Barry from Miami. And, right. Uh, he told me that his runner was dead and you crossed <laughs> with four minutes to spare. That was the case with me. When yeah. I crossed the 50.8 mile, I was, I was ex exhausted. I was overheated, but I, I just kept on pushing. I knew that yeah. I was going to have a hard time if I waited too much. We headed for the starting line. Um, I started flat. I did not have the excitement that I had in 2019. Um, I just figured all I could do is just muster up everything I had and just try to gut it out. Um, we were chasing uh, cutoffs from the get-go. We uh, made 50.8 uh, with four minutes to spare, and I gave it everything I could. I had no more of my Matt had just kept on keep turning, keep turning, keep turning. I was cussing and stuff. He just let that. He wasn't even hearing me. He was doing everything. <laughs> there was like a line of us, and uh, Don was part of that, I think, or maybe not. But there was a whole bunch of people that were facing the same challenges, and it, it, it took everything and then some for me to get through that. Well, at that point, there was no resetting. I didn't have time. And that's what, right. I, that's what I was saying. Like, if you start to have issues... You know, I started having issues at mile 20. And we were trying to get me back, but he, that that 14 um, hour cutoff, you can't, you really just can't have any issues or you're going to be skirting it. And there were yeah. a lot of people not doing well, like Ted said, around that time period. So I didn't even think anything of it. I guess it's the extraordinary heat. And we had like the furnace kind of blowing behind us assumed you know that, that was the problem but what was weird for me and my crew is it was everything was going fantastic i mean just moving moving i came in at furnace in four hours 15 minutes which was right on target of where i wanted to be and then i got to mile 20 and the switch flipped and my body just started revolting not not taking anything in, kept trying different things, which is, you know, odd because that's 20, you know, four hours into a race. So I was just thinking, okay, we didn't get the fluids right, even though I felt like we had a really good plan for that. And then uh, 
right as the sun started coming up, my body started getting super heat stressed, like it couldn't even take this sun. And they were, everybody was, you know, they were cool and everything, but it was like my body just was just over hot, over hot. And that's when I started through my chest and my back. Something was telling me something was wrong with me and I was very sick. And so, yeah. And going from there, you still have a lot more miles to go. So my crew at mile 72, they had to hear from me. I had one of those meltdowns that some of us have once in a while. I got a crew meeting and I said, guys, I'm not going to make it. They all look at me like they wanted to joke, to to laugh, but they didn't. They kind of like... (laughs) hold it i i was telling them that my legs were completely done my knee was acting out that the, the heels of the first 50 miles came they all look at me and were like okay um j- just go walk for half a mile and then we have another meeting i look at them like they're not taking me for serious <laughs> they, <laughs> then i walk for another half a mile uh, and when i went back to the van they went like Okay, now, what do you need? I said, well, give me some tailwind and let's go for another half a mile. And after that, I started to feel better. Got a, you know, six minutes nap here and there. And I finished. And, and like we, we always said that we have the best crew in the world. Every single runner says that. I can tell you that my yeah. crew was, was amazing all the way along. There were points that I was kind of like, I knew what I needed. At some points I needed only uh, a, t- a tailwind or, or I need only one cracker with a little bit of uh, peanut butter jelly. <laughs> and another point I needed only half a pretzel. They never complained. They, they bear with me and they really, really helped me um, make this ring come through. I'm glad you made it. <laughs> 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 we took a bit of a rest and then uh, reset and then went after Panaman. And um, I thought uh, getting past the first cut, since that's the most aggressive, I would be fine. But it wasn't. Um, things started snowballing and um, I ended up being the same thing. And Brendan's going, Ted, we got a mile and a half to go and you got 17 minutes together to get there. And I go, I, I haven't run, I haven't done a 17 minute mile in hours um <laughs> panic panic just set in and I, I just started taking off and I, I had no my gate was all over the place i was doing everything i, I could to not follow my face but, but i i didn't want to go through what i did before and my crew had put out so much i'm thinking my god i'm going to screw the pooch for these guys and they've come all this way just go just go just go and and, and by that time i was I, I mean, I wasn't sure I was going to make it, and I was leaning heavily to the left. That's where that started, and um, I did with two minutes to spare. They're all lined up at the flagpole, you know, and I, I didn't know if I was going to make it, but we did, and um, everything kind of started unraveling. I think I put everything I could physically and then some and had, start, had um, accumulated some things that uh, would snowball. Um, got up Crowley actually pretty good. Um Got into Darwin with 20 minutes to spare, but the problem is, is after Darwin, I started this excessive lean to the left, which I'd never experienced before. And it just kept on getting worse. Um, we took a 15-minute nap at Darwin and got back on the road. 
and the guys are going, you got, you have to do 15, 17 minute miles all the way to Lone Pine in order to make the cut. And I'm going, I don't know, guys, I'll do everything I could. And I'm leaning. I'm trying to stand up. Trying. We got five miles and I'm going to Brendan because he's with me on the course. I'm going, dude, we need to find some medical because we either get this fixed or I'm not going to make it. If there's not a way to fix this, I'm not getting better. I'm getting slower. Um, so uh, the medical staff happened to be going by and they stopped. And I talked to uh, Megan. I think that's her name. Uh, yeah. The medical chief. And um, I go, what do you do for this? She goes, you rest, Ted. <laughs> I think Omega and I, ha I don't have that luxury. In fact, the longer we wait, the faster I have to go. And I'm going slower as we go. She goes, really? That's it? And I'm waiting for her to, to tell me to pull the plug. And she's having none of it. <laughs> <laughs> so I go, okay, this is a practical call. It ain't happening. So I, I go, guys, we're done. So uh, I did that very reluctantly, but um, I did it because I realized any more effort, um, I, I wasn't sure what I was dealing with. I didn't want to hurt myself in a way that might put me in a position where I was in 2019 and not be able to run for five months afterwards. And um, the other part with the reluctancy was I wanted to, these guys to have the experience of finishing at Whitney Portal. I had that already. But these guys hadn't, and it really, it, that's what people, oh, you must be disappointed. I go, I am. I'm disappointed that my my crew didn't get the experience. And I, I mean that sincerely because they all put so much into it. And um, But this stuff happens, I guess, and it happened to us, and my crew was fantastic. Um, so we went with that and um, just enjoyed the rest of it to the extent that we could um, and celebrated other people's um uh, accomplishments and stories through thing. Uh, the other reason I couldn't uh, keep on going is because uh, I'm not Bob Becker. <laughs> <laughs> so I found out what he was doing. I'm going, I'm a loser, Ted. No, I'm kidding. Um, but yeah, uh, so that's what we did. We just flipped the switch, decided, you know, great team effort, did all we could and nothing to be ashamed about. Move forward, have fun, and um, enjoy the rest of uh, our journey. So for Don, knowing the DNF now, you know, kind of how did that happen? You know, what did it feel like? What's kind of going through your mind? So <laughs> picked up Amy and she's like, you got two and a half hours. And so we started to go up and I was like, I don't think I can do this. And she's like, yes, you can. You can do this. And I said, I think I'm going to pass out. And I said, well, I got to go over to the car. And we went over to the car, and I just felt like I was couldn't stand up, and my legs were all cramping, and they were encouraging me, but I was really concerned because I had never felt like that before, and I've done a lot of hot. You know, I don't, I have but two DNFs to my name, and one I took until mile 70 and dropped, and the other was this kind of situation where I was at Croom, and, you know, one lap from finishing and had was and this was going way back like 2015 and, uh, was having the same kind of body wisdom of don't keep going and so we sat, we went back to stovepipe to talk to medical and they said you know chris Cosman came right over and he said um you know don and i was crying my eyes out telling him i'm sorry i can't finish your <laughs> he's like, well, he's like, you can, this is not how I saw this. 
for you. And I said, I know. And, and I said, I, I said, I just, I don't know what to do. And, and he said, you know, I went on with me and he said, well, for you to make the cutoff. And I said, well, I can't stand up. I guess that, that decision is made. And um, then, no, you know. It sounds like the decision you made became a practical one. And that's how I felt at 95. It really was a matter of assessing what you had to do in order to make the next cutoff, what you're capable and where you were physically and where you were going. And that's kind of like, in a way, it's kind of easy because it's like this, there's no, it it, it is what it is. I mean, as hard as it is to do. uh, Yeah, I I, I feel you. I, I get that. Yeah, I mean, and, you know, the, we've all been there. We've all been there where, you know, uh, I'm going to get this right. I, I was there at the Keys. You know, I had terrible cramps Keys and uh, my legs, not all through my body like this was going on. I've never experienced that before. But And you know, my crew went back, got me some Pedialyte. They propped me back up, and I trudged to the finish sipping Pedialyte. Like, you know when you can, and, and we do. That's what we do as ultra runners. Sometimes you battle through and you, you deal with it. But there's also a wisdom and listening when you can't. And, and to not put yourself into some, like, I could have tried to run. Well, I couldn't have run, but I, if I would have tried to go up there, I just think I would have maybe passed out like I was feeling. Well, and that, that what could have that have done, you know? That, that's a very, very tough section to run. I don't know anybody um, that's not uh, an elite runner that runs that section. you got rolling hills right from the get-go, and you're going up 2,000 feet from zero. Um, yeah. The other thing that you add is um, not knowing what you didn't know. Yeah. Um, and... and, and you know, that's really what underpins all of your decisions. The frustration had to come from that. What the hell is this? Yeah. Well, you found out, unfortunately. And I guess the upside is that you, you can kind of lean on that and say, well, what the hell, man? You know, I had this this, this thing. So I, I, I know there's no consolation, but it, it is a fact. Well, I'll tell you the consolation, and I will t- say that the consolation was experiencing the finishes of my friends. The next day I went up to the portal and got yep. to see so many of my friends to Ted cross that finish line. Unfortunately, I was not feeling good. So I did not get to see um, Bob, but I did see Bob on the way down from the portal. Cause I'd been for many hours because I got up there at 10 a.m. the previous the, the next morning but I saw Bob going up and I cheered for him and saw some of my other friends and then I got to see Bob at the awards ceremony he came in yep. and we talked and yep. every single person like this is our ultra community and yep. so touching to my heart even as they just came across the line Joseph these people who have just run 135 miles I'd say congratulations to them and they would say oh thank you thank you and how did your race go and then I'd say well I didn't I didn't finish and and they would offer me consolation and empathy right there on the spot even though they had just and I wasn't asking for it they were just giving it because the community it's caring. Many of them took the time to talk to me and say, well, you know, Dean Carnassus has a DNF here. You know, David got <laughs> DNF here. Like, you know, just, just to make me feel better and make me feel included. And there is a family 
atmosphere out there to that race that it's it's really special and i i really didn't understand it but once you're out there and you feel it, it it's a truth it absolutely is a true thing and i'm grateful to to feel included in it even though i didn't finish the race they all stood up and cheered for us for everybody it happens to the best of them. i mean danny westergaard normally finishes last year he finished in 34 hours we finished 45 you go danny what the heck happened he goes stomach issues the entire way this guy's 15 time uh finisher i mean this guy yeah. knows this race uh, there's there's a lot of stories um uh and, and i know it's disheartening and, and you have to take those stories uh, it bears witness to the difficulty of this course, no matter who you are. And um, guess what? I'm not Superman. You ain't Superwoman. Woman, and it it can happen to people that are far, far more qualified than I am. So uh, you I just don't know what, you don't know what's going to happen on, on your day. Um, the wisdom that both of you display it says a lot about who you are because. Ultra runners, the ultra community, we all know how hardcore we are. And sometimes we push the envelope way too hard. Our head is always ahead of our physical condition. And the fact that both of you had the courage to know when to stop, uh, it means a lot. Uh, some of us, uh, we know that some people have pushed way too hard to the point yeah. where they, they get permanently injured. And they, were, they haven't been able to participate in any race anymore. Yeah. And both of you were very smart in knowing when was time to stop. Well, well Alexis, to your point, um, for both of us, it was fruitless to do that. Because not only do you put yourself at risk, you also put your crew at risk as well. Exactly. The, the yeah, conditions like that. Don's assessment was that. You know, you do all the all the rational thinking on it, and it's going. It's not happening. The same thing with me. Um, but but yeah, I appreciate that, uh, Alexis. And, and you're right. Um, it's hard to do that, but it, it's good to be able to know that you can go back to that decision with a clear head and have yeah. no regrets. I have no regrets of making that decision. It's yeah, my I have, day. I have. I have. I have none. And I I knew that would be the key to to it because you know that that when you wake up and you realize you have that moment of clarity in the morning and i knew whatever felt right in that first moment and the the first thought in my head was because i felt awful but was you know everything you could do dawn and something went wrong and you're gonna figure out what it is at the time i didn't know it was covid but i knew i just thought i was having heat regulation or something and I said you're going to figure it out but you couldn't have gone any further and for me Alexis right at Furnace Creek before I headed down to start I sons and they said you know I had a tracker because they wanted me to carry this tracker and they were arguing with me about because I said I'm going to keep the tracker in my call, crew car and they said no please keep it on you what if something happens to you because they don't know and I said there's all people around I'll be fine right right and, and I said but I promise you this I will not do anything to jeopardize my health my health will always come first before a buckle and that's because the most important they, thing. Yeah, and, and I made that promise to them. And when I was sitting there in that moment, and I told my crew and they were me, I said, I don't feel right. I feel like I'm going to pass out. Something is wrong. And I have to 
or the promise that I made my boys that I would not do anything to harm. Little did I know, you know, the foreshadowing there, but, you know, I, it, it still was what it is. And, and that's what we always all have to remember. This, hopefully I'll get to uh, have another opportunity at Badwater, but if I don't... I, I don't have a doubt that, you will, that both of you will have another opportunity. And oh, I'm done. This with you. <laughs> let, let, <laughs> I, I heard you. I heard you. I, I'm done. Road races beat me to death. I can't do. I can run the trails, but um, I, I was going to be a uh, you know finisher, not for me. But Don, you're still young enough, and your your hips and and stuff they aren't they're not quite as arthritic as mine. Hopefully, they never will get that way. But um, um, yeah, you'll have another opportunity for sure. The, the here's the silver lining is that um, it it had nothing to do with your preparation or lack thereof. It was it was COVID. Yeah, it was this anomalous thing that yeah. happened to bite you. Two years, two years without COVID, and then it decides it's going to get me right before bad water. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's like, is there no justice? <laughs> Alexis, yeah, yeah, Alexis. So I wanted to hear about how did that final stretch go from my portal road like to the Mount Whitney trailhead. How'd that final climb go for you? Well, it's funny that when I got to Lone Pine, um, you know, you have the relief that uh, you have basically everything behind you, and it's only <laughs> the the Mount Whitney portal. When I got to Lone Pine, I felt something uh, weird on my uh, right foot, and when I took off when I took off my sneaker, it happened that I was losing my toenail. And it was in an excruciating pain. And I only have those 30 miles going uphill. <laughs> <laughs> I immediately had to improvise because obviously my feet were swelling. So I had to do the surgery, <laughs> cut the front of the sneaker. But um, at that point, I was running with a white pair of uh, sneakers. I just grabbed the first sneaker that I saw on the floor, which happens to be red. Um, I didn't notice that because obviously you, your mind is kind of foggy at that time. I caught it myself with a uh, scissor that I have available. And I, you know, took off, started walking, just thinking about crossing that finish line. It was like for everybody else, it was brutal because you are completely on the other side of your mind. And... Every time you look ahead of you, it's all inclined. And, but when I got to the point where I, I, found, I saw Bob, everything, those last 200 meters, I, honestly, I didn't feel pain at all, just thinking about the, what, what Bob was going through. And I believe it or not, I was able to jog a little bit <laughs> that section before the finish line until I come with my crew and... You know, we got ready to cross the finish line together. It's, 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 you know, one of those sections of the race that it takes everything out of everybody. And I wasn't the exception. Alexis, um, what was it like going across the finish line carrying your Cuba flag with your crew? Well, I had the pressure since the start that I was going to be the first, according to the database, I was going to be the first Cuban-American crossing that finish line. So to me, it means a lot. It, it means the word that I was able to cross that finish line with a flag. The finish line to me was 
a little bit of everything. First of all, because when I was approaching the portal, I, I mean, my wife turned around and she told me, hey, just two blocks before the finish line, Bob Baker is struggling. So when I was approaching that area, I, I stopped when I saw Bob and the whole display of courage and tenacity and everything. And I saw so many people encouraging him. I stopped. I got a few words with Bob. And then, you know, I walked with him. I, I was look, looking at what he was going through. And I can tell you that immediately all the pain that I was feeling, every issue with knee and hit, everything went away. I saw yeah. that guy showing the, the biggest display of courage that I've seen in sports, period. And I got so, dis I mean, I was in awe. There was a woman that was in the group and she went like, hey, listen, you have only three minutes to the cutoff time. You better go ahead and go. I said, no, no, don't worry about it. I still have an hour and a half because I was in the second wave. I started at 9.30. So ah. I still have you know, some time. Right. And uh, when, when I decided to go, go on and just cross the finish line and then go back and, you know, keep encouraging Bob, when I grabbed that Cuban flag, it, it was like, I, everything was like such a relief knowing that I represented my people uh, not the Cuban government, the Cuban people, my, my yeah. people, it's, yeah. it, it, it meant the world to me. It, this is something, this race to me, for as much as I love ultras, this is what I call the last dance. I, uh, I've been enjoying 13 awesome years doing ultras. I've been running in, uh, for 40 years. I started running back in 1982. I think there is a point, at a point in my life that I want to, do all the things. I'm not saying that I'm going to stop running. That was never going to happen. I'm going to be close to the grave and I'm going to still running and be running. But, you know, this, something like this, I wanted to be the last dance. And it was. I mean, holding the American flag and the Cuban flag when I crossed the finish line is, is the pinnacle of my running career. That's special, Alexis. I'm, um, I'm, I'm really happy and touched to hear that story. Um, it, it, it's really that sort of testimonial that um, really makes me appreciate what the sport is, the kind of people that it attracts and that I get the pleasure of meeting when I'm out and about um, Badwater community, ultra community uh, at large for sure. But but that's that's really something that that's special and you'll hold dear for the rest of your life. Congratulations! Thank yeah. you, thank you. Congrats! It's, it's almost like a little American dream come true. Yep, it's, it, it's, is. Uh, it is. It is. Yeah. It is. Um, I mean, like I mentioned already, I came in a kayak to America looking for freedom, which I found. Um, I'm ha I'm happily uh, married. With, a, with, with an amazing wife I have between both of us. We have five kids. Uh, I've been a teacher for 28 years. I'm a physical education teacher. I have conquered all my dreams. The only one that I, that I was still in the bucket list was by water. Yeah. And the fact that I was able to cross that finish line uh, is, is, is something that I will have 
you know, I will remember for the rest of my life. Yeah, how did it feel just to hold that belt buckle? Oh, I've, I got a few of them. I've done Kiss 100 like five times, uh, plus other races. But when, when I got that belt buckle, it was like, oh my gosh, this means a lot to me that an Olympic gold medal. Because you have to remember that the last three years plus all the time before that, Everything in your life revolves around bad water, and you hear, okay, the bell buckle, and and when you cross the finish line, you're gonna get it, and it, it's like surreal, honestly. When you hear, uh, when I hear, I heard the first time that this was the toughest food race in the world. I went like, but what? Why they call it that? Um, yes, to every person that is listening to this podcast. Yes, it is the tough, uh, the toughest food race in the world. So that bell buckle means <laughs> the world to us. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, on that note, uh, when people ask me that question, I go, well, I've run it twice now and I, I've paced twice. I've got no reason to believe that it's not the toughest foot race in the world. Yes, it uh, is. I, yes, I, it just, is. I just can't imagine or, or know anything that is. And, Anyway, but, but that's my take. Um, yeah, that, that, that's great, Alexis. I'm glad you had that experience. Thank you. Thank you. It's, it's, it's like, like a, we repeat over and over, it's like a dream that, you know, come true. Dream realized. I'm sorry, I'm sorry that the dream didn't come true uh, for you guys, but I know that you, have, you both have an extensive resume. You have been able to accomplish a lot. Well, I know what it's like. I was I was fortunate enough to finish in in twenty nine twenty nineteen, and I mean that because it wasn't pretty and it wasn't easy. And I was uh, I think I was had the dubious distinction of being the last male to finish. And uh, <laughs> Chris pointed that out in the magazine. I, I think really because he was a little picked because there are people out there that would they quit because they weren't hitting their goal paces, and he used that example as like yours and Bob's, I'm sure he'll use going forward, that it's not about your time. It's about respecting the race and the other competitors that work so hard to get there and finish or not, that you give it everything that you can and stay in it as long as you can. But yeah, so I guess we can kind of wrap it up with, I know, Ted, you were ready for this question. What was kind of the good, the bad, and the ugly out there this year at the Badwater 135? I would say the good was that my preparation was really good. Um, I had learned lessons on um, the uh, on nutrition and hydration and getting in front of that because you can't afford to get behind it. I was a little concerned with my hill running coming from Southern California where I'm going up or down. And the sand training in Florida really helped that. My heat of training i never felt hot um i i i kind of naturally heat acclimate well anyway and i put a lot of effort into it it that fortunately is one thing that wasn't an issue um so i'd say everything that got me there i felt confident i didn't have injuries this year um so that was good um i'd say the bad was just the things that i couldn't predict you know that just happened through uh, things that just are under control. You know, you. I lost my my crew chief at the last minute. He was my anchor of my team, and 
I, I think that uh, caused, even though I didn't recognize it at the time, just an underlying bit of stress that was lingering there, but not acknowledged because I was focused on trying to, um, I was working the problem. And um, so that, and then how that kind of resulted in my inability to sleep and how things kind of unraveled. Um, the other good part was the just gritting through it and, and taking myself to go some uh, places back to back at the 50.8 impediment that frankly, I, I had no idea that I had the, the, that I was possessed of possessing of that ability to dig that deep. Um, the ugly was the same. <laughs> if you would have seen me coming into Panama, it, it was some pretty ugly. It was a pretty ugly sight to behold. I'm sure. Um, that's kind of what sums me sums it up. And of course, this one last thing: the good was everything else. Badwater, the people, uh, the people like Don, people like Alessa, like people like Bob Becker. Uh, 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 you know, so many uh, other people that I, I get a chance to meet while I'm out there. Denise um, and Ben Jones, two of my favorite people in the whole world. So all of that, uh, overall, it was resoundingly lopsided to good stuff. The rest of it was kind of just life. Okay. The uh, good was just getting to the start line after three years, um, being uh, under Superman running, um, you know, in the sunset after standing on the start line with so many that I admire and, um, you know, my crew doing everything they could to keep me moving strong. And we were the best when I started to get sick at 20 and, um, you know, trying to correct that, but not be. I mean, even water wasn't staying down. So, you know, just trying to move forward and hopefully we would have enough time. And then obviously the ugly is being stopped in my tracks at mile 42 after the sun came up and not being able to um, have the finish that I saw for so long um, ahead of me. And, you know, I wanted that for my crew out there, too, and to the, for them to experience it as well. So that was, you know, I, the good beyond that was, like I said, just getting to be a part of the Badwater family, to feel still part of it, even though I didn't get to finish the race, to be at the portal and welcome and cheer um, all these amazing athletes across it and see them get to achieve their dreams and carry that buckle you know I, I I didn't feel I just felt happy because I knew that you know it wasn't my day and so that wasn't my year to uh, complete bad water and hopefully I'll get a, another opportunity to do that um, in the future next year I go back uh, I will be crew chief for one of my good friends so it won't be 2023, but maybe maybe 2024. We'll see. Well, in my case, the bad uh, for me was that I almost didn't make it to the first cut of time. And that put so much pressure on me. 
Um, it was I had to push myself the last eight miles before the cut of time, and that definitely uh, uh, played all. Um, the ugly, uh, I lost my toenail just two days ago. <laughs> the doctor had to pull it. <laughs> you didn't need that. You got nine more. The, yeah, that's what I was saying. Dealing with uh, uh, Whitney Porter, those 30 miles from Lone Pine to the finish line uh, with that excruciated pain is, you know, it's part of what we do. I mean, we sign for this. We know that that's part of the game. But uh, that was the ugly for me. The good, definitely, um, to be able to en enjoy the experience with my crew and to be included among these 94 amazing athletes, um, get to know some of you, like uh, Don and Ted in this case. It, it really put me, in a special, it put me in a special place. And the icing on the cake was that crossing that finish line, knowing that I was the first Cuban-American accomplish, accomplishing this amazing uh, task, is 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 definitely uh, something you know to remember. Yeah, that's absolutely amazing. That that is special. That yeah, that's it, that's an incredibly special thing, Alexis. Yeah, yeah. Thank Congrats you, guys. To you, Alexis. Thank you, thank you. Very happy for you. Thanks. Appreciate it. It was a low roll for all of us, uh, and it's it's all about the experiences that we uh, are we are. Uh, going through and at the end of the day the more experiences we have the better you're going to feel no doubt about it yeah. it's that and who you're doing it with i mean we had a great look at the two uh, the three feet um, including you joseph uh even though you didn't run but i mean it's part of the community it's something that i never expected to experience in life and, and it's just something that just it, I love going to races, man. I'm out there hooting and hollering, not because I think I have to or that I want to make a fool of myself. I just get pumped when being part of this community. Uh, and that's a give back on all on its own. Oh, yeah, exactly, exactly. Well, hey, guys, y'all, I appreciate it. This was awesome. Thanks, well, personally, personally, I want to thank all three of you to allow me uh, to you know, know a little bit uh, about you getting to know you guys and hopefully i could meet you guys in person one day i look forward to that Alexis. Yeah. you have a remarkable story to tell uh joseph thank you for having me it's the uh, first time i've had an experience like this and i really uh honored to be part of it especially with uh, uh alexis and, and don um uh, it, it's been a great experience for me thank you very much likewise and you're doing great things with this All podcast. Right, thank you guys keep it up thank you good you night too, everybody Bye. Good night, everybody. Bye-bye. Nice. nice to meet you all. And there we have it for part three of the stories from the Bad Water 135, the final episode of this three-part series with all of the Florida Nine. What an incredible opportunity and I'm honestly, I'm truly blessed that I was able to hear all of these stories from every single one of the Florida Nine. And then to even be able to share them, it's amazing. It was, this is amazing. There's always races, events, and you know, other stories. I just love all of them. So hey, here's the Badwater and so many more Florida runners, Florida races, 
so many, so many more stories to come. So many stories to go. So hey, until next time, happy trails. <laughs>